Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. At this point in the Gospel of Luke, Elizabeth and her relative Mary are having the prayer party. And Elizabeth is farther along in her pregnancy. Mary has come to see her about the sixth month in. And it's likely that Mary stays all the way until the birth of John, John the Baptist. Elizabeth had been secluded uh, in the early part of her pregnancy, and so it, uh, it could be that she was isolated even from neighbors and friends. But when it's revealed that she's pregnant, uh, despite her old age, it's viewed unanimously as this huge blessing from God. Now, we're looking at Mary's heavy metal song. I call it heavy metal because she is celebrating God's victory toppling the towers of uh, the haughty and lifting up the lowly. Let's take a closer look at this song from Mary and let's see how there are points of God's covenant from beginning to end. And we'll look at how it's similar to prayers prayed by Hannah in the book of First Samuel. Here is Luke chapter 1 verse 46 again. Uh, uh, the word magnifies, we pointed out in yesterday's devotion. Uh, if you come from a Catholic background, this may sound familiar, the Magnificat. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that one right, and that's not me. Uh, if, I, if I am, I'm not failing as a Protestant pastor, that's for sure, but I might be failing as a music student, so forgive me. Florida State College of Music professors, if any of you happen to come across this, if I mispronounced Magnificat, uh, this was the title of, you know, it, it serves as a title for multiple pieces of music, where people take Mary's song from this chapter of Luke and then put it to music historically, because in the Latin translation of the text, that's actually the very first word in the Latin rendering. She's magnifying the Lord, all right? She is, she's trying to bring glory to the Lord, not herself. There's nothing in this text in which Mary claims to be the object of affection or, or, or to have been deified or glorified in any way. There is nothing in this text that would indicate that Mary were immaculate, rather quite the opposite. She acknowledges her need for a gracious Savior. So uh, her, her spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. In this verse, I can hear echoes of Genesis 12 and 15 and 22 and 17, in which God had made this promise through Abraham to bless all nations. And this is how he would do it. It'd be actually through this descendant of Abraham, the one with whom um, Mary is pregnant as she sings this song. Uh, all generations indeed. And so you can see how God has done mighty things. This sort of harkens back to the the, the miracles of the Exodus, the, the, the plagues of the Exodus, and God's uh, just miraculous deliverance of ancient Israel. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. All right, this is sort of, uh, this is imagery. It's personification. Uh, he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. This is why I call it a, uh, these, these two verses are really the, the most heavy metal uh, of the whole thing. And she is referring to herself as lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. All of this was happening in uh, the impoverished fringes of what the religious elite would have considered the center of the faith world. Rather than coming, uh, rather than, you know, coming to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, 
uh, it, this incredible, miraculous provision from God, this angel messenger Gabriel from God has gone to uh, the one they would have least suspected, all right, young and humble Mary. In fact, Mary, who had been uh, the subject of some rumors in town because people didn't believe the uh, believe that she would have been miraculously pregnant, uh, even though she was a virgin. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and she returned home. So because we know from earlier in the text that Elizabeth was six months pregnant, it's entirely possible, and this seems to indicate to me, that uh, Mary was there for the birth of John the Baptist. Now, let's compare this to uh, some stuff we've er seen earlier in the Bible uh, from Hannah. All right, this is back in the book of 1 Samuel, I think this is chapter 1. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. Uh, in, in our series in the book of Judges, we see all of these like swing and a miss, foreshadowings of Jesus who ultimately will let us down. And uh, Samson was definitely one of those. Samson, like Samuel, not to confuse the two, uh, was a Nazareth from birth. And uh, it, it's Samuel who would bring an end to the era of the judges and be the one who would usher in the monarchical era of Israel and his mother, Hannah, like uh, uh, just like Samson's uh, parents, just like Elizabeth, uh, just like Mary, all of these women of the Bible uh, were unlikely to be pregnant. In the case of Hannah, because of infertility, and in the case of Elizabeth, because of her age, the same with the case of Sarah, because of her, her age, and then Mary, most of all, because of her virginity, obviously. And so these are women who had called out to God about their children. Their children were, were committed to God from birth to be Nazareth's. Uh, except for Jesus. His, uh, he is the Messiah, obviously. But Samson and, uh, Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist all had this in common, that they were to be Nazareth's from birth. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. And then you can see a similarity in, in, uh, in Hannah's song. Uh, Hannah's prayer to Mary's song. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. Uh, so both of them call out the haughty and the prideful, and they they extol God for lifting up the lowly. Uh, now this is a this is a much longer uh, song, if you will, than than Mary's song. Uh, but wow, there's there's some striking similarity here. God is in the business of redeeming the lowly, like we saw in just last week's uh, standalone series on on worship. Uh, in which God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. These are some humble women of God uh, who have been lifted up by the Lord. And it's not just through their childbirth. They're, they're praising God, not just because their <clears throat> infertility or miraculous conception, uh, you know, or having a child in their old age. Not, it's not, not that having a baby 
made them. It's what God did through their their sons whom they bore, that they got to be a part of the redemptive plan of God. They're praising God for what he was going to do through their children. All right, Samuel plays an absolutely pivotal role. John the Baptist plays a pivotal role. Jesus obviously is the son of God himself. And their mothers all had this in common, their humility. So look closely at Mary's song. See its, uh, see its parallels to other songs from other, uh, you know, just miraculously uh, gifted and, and uplifted mothers throughout Scripture. And the, the common denominator is uh, God's use of the humble. God opposes the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. May we be humble. Take a moment, check yourself, do a deep inventory for pride because it's sneaky. May we all be more like Mary, more like Hannah, more like Elizabeth. Amen.